Do you consider yourself a high achiever? Smart, driven, highly successful? I am so excited to have you. My name is Julia Arndt and I'm the host of the Stress Podcast. I will help you develop your stress resilience the same way you've developed your workplace superpowers. Learn peak performance tools to thrive at work and in your personal life. Let's get started. Good morning here from California. <laughs> I'm really excited to have my next podcast interview guest here on the show today. And it is Emma Mainu from London. Hi, Emma. How are you doing today? Hello, I'm fine. Thank you. And I'm really glad to be here. It looks like it's sunny where you are and it's equally beautiful here in London, which is sometimes a rare thing. So I'm feeling good and I'm enjoying the sunshine. Yeah, it is. This The sun that you're seeing right now is actually my lamp that is going on my face <laughs> because my office is always a little bit dark in the morning, but it is a really beautiful day and it's very blue skies and sunny outside already. So Lovely. Yeah. Emma, I'm really excited to have you here today. And um, before we're jumping into maybe a quick introduction of who you are, I always ask my podcast guests, um, where are you from, which we already established you're in London, but um, what have you been up to this morning? And this whole day, because for you, it's already in the evening. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm head of mental health um, at a company called Utopia. We're a culture change business. So we work with businesses to help them to create happier healthier and more inclusive cultures and this Monday has been a busy one I mean super rewarding with the work that I'm doing but very busy and I'm aware of the need um, particularly in this moment with some of the work that I'm doing to take care of my mental health so today um, I've hosted um, a panel discussion today um, that was about the impact of exclusion so um, my panelists are people that I know really well, who I've worked with before, who are um, from the Black and Asian um, community and communities. And they're sharing, they've been sharing their experiences today of the impact of feeling in the outside group. Um, we've been talking about microaggressions um, and, you know, just giving the other people that were in the room, the other people that were present, an opportunity to ask questions but also for the other people of colour in that room that often don't feel like they can speak in their workplace, it was a good opportunity for them to hear other people saying perhaps the things that they've experienced and felt like they weren't able to share. So I hosted a panel discussion. And this week's a really busy one because I'm doing a lot of training at the moment, taking people on journeys. And as much as I don't like to use that word so often, it can feel a bit cliche, there isn't really another word right now, I feel, that to describe taking people from one place to another with some difficult points along the way mm -hmm. um, as a result of recent months where, you know, mental health has become firmly on the agenda in workplaces and also racism has become um, higher up on the agenda, which mm -hmm. nobody had expected. Um, and I'm reacting to that with the work that I do and the work that my company does. We're kind of right in there. Um, working with companies to take them on inclusion journeys. Okay, very cool. So with that, tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you started your company. Yeah, so I joined Utopia um, in January to lead the mental health practice. Utopia is three years old. Okay. Um, and basically I joined um, at a time where I had been working in the mental health space independently for almost two years. So my background is 
marketing, it's media, it's PR, mm -hmm. it's creative. Um, and that's kind of where the majority, like almost 20 years of my career have been reaching senior level. Um, and, you know, throughout my career, it looked like I was living my best life. You know, I would be having great projects, working with great brands, good budgets, big teams, um, and kind of, you know, in, in some good kind of leadership roles I've had. But what nobody knew was that behind closed doors, I was living with depression and anxiety for a lot of my life, probably for about 20 years. Um, some, some, some challenges that had started in my teenage years. I didn't know how to articulate or I didn't know what they were at that time, really. I just knew that I felt depressed or anxious and I would spend 20 years hiding through various means, whether that was work and, um, you know, really throwing myself into projects um, and using work both as a place to feel fulfilled and valued, but also as a distraction. And also, you know, my kind of work life has gone hand in hand with the party scene. So I was equally as good at that as I was at my job. Mm -hmm. And it was really easy to hide um, what I was going through. But in 2012, um, a personal situation led to a breakdown. So I had a really debilitating breakdown where I was out of work for a period of time. And um, it really was a point in my life where it was, you know, I, it was sink or swim. They were the two options. Mm -hmm. And I went on a real um, journey, to say again, of, mm -hmm. of, of recovery. Um, I fought to save my life. And it would be another kind of seven years before I would share those experiences publicly with anyone, which I did through a blog that I created um, called Surviving Sundays, because Sundays were the worst day of the week for me at that time, um, mm -hmm. a day where I would feel alone, and perhaps I hadn't been out all weekend, um, and I know that I had to go to work on Monday and say I was okay when I wasn't. So I started kind of sharing that story a couple of years ago. I created this place um, where I would release my stories, but then where other people from all over the world would share their stories of their mental health challenges. And it was really important to me that um, we didn't just think of mental health problems like diagnoses that we might know of we don't only think that having poor mental health might be a diagnosis of psychosis because people can have psychosis mm -hmm. and lead fulfilling lives and it's not necessarily just being in bed at rock bottom there's a spectrum so I wanted to show those experiences which I did and mm -hmm. through doing that I became connected um, with some of the work that Utopia were doing I was coming in as a speaker and really going from a side hustle having an opportunity to make the most rewarding thing I'd ever done um, my day-to-day -day job has been a thing of great fortune like the worst thing that ever happened to me has led to me being in the job that I believe I should always have been in um, driving change day-to-day -day. yeah that's beautiful yeah and I can like I can really feel the emotions behind that as well because like that's my story a little bit as well right um, so it's beautiful that you are in that spot now and in that space. So what exactly are you doing um, for Utopia? So you're saying mental health, you already said yeah. that you had some panel so, discussions, but so, like what, what's the work entail? Maybe also for Utopia, but like what is Utopia doing? Yeah, so um, my role within Utopia, so Utopia um, more broadly um, specializes in the areas of inclusion and um, making businesses more inclusive, um, 
making them more entrepreneurial, empowering people to be more entrepreneurial in their work. And also, um, you know, alongside that, we want people to be happy and we want them to be healthy. So the mental health practice started with a recognition of the fact that if businesses aren't wholly inclusive, then there is a possibility and in fact a reality that people are feeling excluded. And that means that they're probably not performing at their best if they don't feel like they belong. And they might be hiding problems and mental health challenges um, that they have. Um, and therefore, if they're not able to belong and they're taking so much energy to hide themselves, um, how can they be working fully for a company? And how can they be showing up as their full selves? So mm -hmm. Utopia have recognized this, um, both in terms of their observations, Nadia and Daniele, who are in the company, they're very forward thinking, um, and they see that inclusion and our well-being are not two separate issues. Mm -hmm. um, and so the mental health practice, we have a suite of products where um, we work with businesses either to deliver um, sessions. So I deliver things like listening sessions. I create safe spaces for people mm -hmm. to talk about their feelings, mm -hmm. to talk about their challenges um, and to feel safe that, you know, we're an independent third party. We're not taking notes to report to anybody. We're just there um, to support people in a safe environment. Now, I'm not a psychotherapist. So where I need to, I will signpost to the right people, but we're able to create really safe spaces for people. And then through our kind of like learnings and our awareness of some key themes, we're able to kind of help those businesses um, to deliver other things. So that might be workshops on anxiety. You know, we've all been in this pandemic together. Mm -hmm. Everybody's been affected. Um, and we've been able to deliver programs that help people to understand what anxiety is. Some people have never had it before. Suddenly they're experiencing it. So unpacking anxiety and also giving tools and solutions. Um, I also um, lead a resilience workshop to teaching people what resilience is. It's not endurance. It's not an idea that we keep going until we break. Um, and also we do kind of um, an integrated approach where we don't just want to do, let's say, um, something for World Mental Health Day um, and do a, you know, a one-off event, but then people are attending and then they're leaving and they're going into a toxic culture that's not inclusive. So our approach is really integrated, being fully aware of the fact that um, you know, we need a holistic approach to mental health. Um, one workshop isn't just gonna fix it. We need to work with leadership, basically, to, be, to, to invest and be committed to um, better, healthier workplaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, that totally resonates with me. That's definitely my mission as well. That you know, it's I've seen this a lot over the last year and a half since I started my business. Where like companies would hire me, I would go in for sixty minutes, and then they kind of tick the box of like, okay, we had like a stress management, like mental health topic, <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, that's not enough. You know, people will leave, and maybe they feel inspired and motivated or gain mm -hmm. some insights, but they are just getting sucked back into their super busy work. And two days later, they have completely forgotten about, you know, maybe the good intentions that they set or the goals that they were thinking about. And so, yeah, I think it's really great that Utopia is doing that as well. And um, what have you seen now that the pandemic, obviously, so you started in January at Utopia and then obviously the coronavirus started at the time. And then in March, we all latest, I guess, went into shelter in place. I'm sure London maybe even a little earlier. Um, what kind of themes have you seen come up maybe that surprised you or that are specific to the pandemic? I would think that 
although everything that's happened has been unfortunate and very difficult for um, people who have lost people, people who have been ill themselves, people who have lost work, even if you haven't lost work, your partner may have lost work or friends and family, like everybody has been touched in some way. Mm-hmm. As awful as it's been, I feel like the conversation around mental health has been, become democratized in a way, if that makes sense. So for example, often I would go to companies um, where they would lead with inclusion and diversity, that was their focus. Mm-hmm. that that was the work that they wanted to do and I'd kind of be there on the edge saying you know like would you like to have a conversation with me I really think that I can help you and um in some instances that that would happen and we'd we'd go on and see like great results and get great great feedback what has happened now is that the leaders that basically might have just said come in and do a talk um on one day have actually now seen their employees as in a more human way and the employees have seen the leadership in a more human way. And people have been able to say, how are you today? It has been really difficult. And people have seen kids running in on calls and people struggling to manage. And mm-hmm. I feel like everybody's had a window almost into um, what goes on behind the, the smiles that we all bring to the office. Mm-hmm. So I think you know, it's created an opportunity for us to have conversations with employers that we wouldn't have had before mm-hmm. um, and for them to really see this as more than just a one-shot deal Mm -hmm. and to know what they have to do because they have experienced um mental health challenges um in recent months themselves yeah and i always think that you know i think there were probably some things that weren't super optimized already in the workplace either and then i think when people have to move home and then work from home like those things are just getting more like obvious like the things that weren't optimized before are like definitely not optimized and um paid attention to when you're working from home and then the accumulation of the effect of not being you know not being good with your time or not being good with setting boundaries and not being good with your self-care just gets even worse like maybe at least at the beginning when you know everybody started to be at home was really bad and i think this is a really good chance for companies like yours and mine to say, hey, like this, that's why you need to learn this <laughs> and you need to learn this on a regular basis and not just as a one-off and then forget about it when you're feeling better again, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I think like what we're asking them to learn is not a full spectrum of all the different diagnoses that are out there. No. It's really yeah. one, the first thing is the recognition that if you didn't know it before, you know it now, that there's a life beyond you know the office yeah and um that mental health problems are not simply things that happen to those other people out there the crazy people or the people who are really sick mental health problems can look like so many different things and they can mean that you show up to the work to work and that it appears to that you're performing but in other ways um you may not be doing being your best self or bringing your full self and i think this is the opportunity. That's what they, they, they are learning or that they should be learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't going to go away, you know. I mean, we're now looking at whatever the new normal means. Um, and I don't think there's such a thing as normal in a situation where so many lives have been changed. We're forever changed by what's happened um, in, in good and bad ways. But simple things like this return to the office, mandatory for some companies, optional for others. Um, and some people will have challenges with that, you know, 
you've been in an environment of comfort or safety for some people in their homes, hearing that it's dangerous outside, mm-hmm. um, and you might fear um, going back and touching things or getting into a confined space. And then you have the people for whom it's not felt safe at home and it's not felt happy and they've had difficult times at home who might be more looking forward to going to an office and that might not be accessible to them Mm -hmm. at the moment. So there are still ongoing challenges. There are those people, there are always those people in every industry and every walk of life who are really good at getting their head down and getting through things. Mm -hmm. And with everything that we've been through at some point, there's usually a payback for not taking care of yourself. So I think we're not just looking at the here and now, we have to be looking forward um, and thinking about how we can better support our employees in the medium and long term as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then do you basically offer like specific programs as well or like um, tool? Mm, I'm sure you offer programs because you said you offer like additional trainings, but what are like the tools that you give to individuals within the company? So like, you know, let's say people are struggling with the things that you just mentioned, right? Like going back to work or not being able to go back to work, having kids at home or having roommates at home, like all the different things that we've heard about, right? Over the last couple of months. Um, what are the tools that you like to share with people in yeah. order to help them navigate that? Yeah, so it's really important for us as a company, whether we're doing mental health work or whether we're doing inclusion work, we don't, as, as much as we want to be partners, and we've been partners with some of the companies that we work with now for like two and three years, mm-hmm. we want people to be able to become self-reliant and have the tools to take care of themselves. That's really important to us. So um, we do a program called Mental Health um, Allies, where we give people a half day training and teaching them how to spot signs um, of poor mental health so that they can look out for each other. Um, We also um, do a session called The Awkward Conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, It's giving people the the tips and the confidence really to approach people. Sometimes people feel like they're overstepping Mm -hmm. by saying, how are you? No, really, how are you? Um, And it's teaching people how to have empathetic and engaging conversations and also what to do when somebody says to you I'm fine and I don't want to talk like what do you do so a lot of what we do is around um, listening um, and empowering people with frameworks that we've created they're all rooted in evidence and a lot of research that we do um, to make sure that these programs are as robust as possible but that people do have a set of tools um, that they can take care of themselves Mm-hmm. where they need to and sometimes you know the answer isn't going to be a workshop for some people workshops are really good at creating cultures and collective awareness mm-hmm. um, but often people may need um therapy they may need talk therapy they may need cognitive behavioral therapy they may mm-hmm. need a different style of coaching and we just open up the conversations so that people feel like they can reach for what they need and we can pass on rec- them on to recommended partners as well Hmm. Hmm. that's really great and i'm actually curious so kind of going back to your own journey so you said 2012 was kind of the big year for you and then you know you you know dealt with it for yourself for a couple of years before you kind of went out um i would love to hear a little bit more about that actually i would love to hear about um maybe what helped you like what was that journey like and what do you feel like were the big things that you maybe integrated into your life or changed in your life that made you feel better today um and then i'll ask you another question about um surviving sundays but yeah i'm really curious i mean 
I have to be honest, it, it was a really long journey. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in, I, I have got a long-term relationship with my therapist. Okay. And some people think, you know, I was in therapy for years and years and I think people think you just go five times and it's done, but mm-hmm. that's different for everybody. I had a history of traumatic experiences. I had suppressed trauma. I had a lot of stuff that went on with me and um, that became complex and compound trauma because my self-esteem was so low that I was just open and vulnerable to a lot of other things that might happen in terms of toxic relationships or just getting in some bad situations. So a lot happened with me and, um, it was essential therefore that I had a safe place to go to begin unpicking that because if I didn't do that, Mm -hmm. I would either die or I would just keep repeating the same patterns in my life. So in my lowest moment, I ended up connecting with a therapist that had been recommended by a friend. I did, I wasn't looking forward to that conversation. I'd had experiences with therapists in my teenage years that were really bad. I probably had two or three experiences with therapists that just, I wasn't the right place. Perhaps they weren't right for me. Um, and I went to meet my therapist and one conversation led to hundreds of hours of conversation that saved my life. And just, you know, a therapist is really smart. I think you go there thinking they're going to start attacking my parents from the moment I walk in and the, and the guilt and the shame around that and all these ideas of what therapy is, but a smart therapist knows how to gently get you to open up and then when to challenge you. And then, you know, so it was a really delicate process um, initially, and then it became more challenging because you have to face yourself. So I'd say therapy was the biggest part of my recovery. But then what comes with that, you're not just in the room to share, you're there to learn. Mm-hmm. So then your therapist is saying to you, okay, here's some patterns what I'm seeing. So for me, the, the main thing was something we call, don't know if you, you have experienced this, but codependency was like my jam, like not being able to take up space in relationships, apologizing for myself, people pleasing, basically cutting off my own air supply to give it to somebody else. And it caused me a lot of problems in my life. So once your therapist has raised awareness of that, you can just go around that or you can start to meet that and challenge that. And for me, that was things, you know, the next step of my recovery was laying boundaries down. But before I could even do that, I had to identify what they were. I'd spent so long drinking and shape-shifting to fit everybody else's view of who I should be that I didn't know, honestly, the things that that really mattered to me. So um, therapy, identifying boundaries, then you've got to lay your boundaries, then you've got to stand by your boundaries because people are going to challenge them. And the people that are really attracted to you whether that's work, love, friendship, are usually, by this point, people who have become used to you having no boundaries. They're like, whoa, what's going on? So, mm-hmm. you know, learning to set boundaries, I still struggle with it. Honestly, saying no is a really hard thing for me, but I'm getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, you know, a lot of what happened to me came off the back of a breakdown. De- break, the breakdown happened off the back of a breakup. Mm-hmm. And my... My routine, the whole of my life, is to never be single. Always have a partner because that means you're lovable. And I made a decision to be single um, at the recommendation of my therapist for 12 months. I was single for 18 months. Um, And I just started to face the things that I feared the most. So I'd say that those were like, at that time, 
the three things that I did that kind of pulled me out of the darkness. Yeah. Um, new things in recent time, um, but that lowest moment, those were the key things. Yeah, interesting. Thanks so much for sharing that. And, and so how then came the Surviving Sundays into play with, with this whole story? I think I just felt like even after my breakdown, when I was getting better and I got a new job and it was in a new company and nobody knew anything of my backstory or where I'd, I didn't know one person personally in that company. It was an opportunity to put the past, try and put the past behind me, but it was also another opportunity to put another mask on and fake it. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt a lot of pressure. It was a big job. You know, I was working with some great um, clients. I felt I had a lot of responsibility. And again, I just was lying like for years just about who I was, either being like the party animal or the girl that dressed well or like just, you know, over presenting all the time. And it was very, very lonely and it was exhausting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd just been writing journals for years. But since I was a young girl, I was writing journals. But this therapy journey, there was just something in it. I felt myself changing. Mm -hmm. I could see it. Just my friendships were changing and I was documenting it. And you know, I think it was 2018, so six years from my breakdown. It took me six years before I decided to go kind of public with my experiences. Mm -hmm. um, but it was something that I felt like I had to do. I was frightened. Uh, but six years later, I was freelance. Um, I was single, you know, and I was worried that I might not date again or I might not work again if I went out there and said that I'd had a history of depression and anxiety. Um, mm -hmm. but the opposite you know, became true. But yeah, I wanted to go out there and tell my story because the one thing, well, there's two things I felt in all the years that I have a mental health challenges. One thing was shame. I felt very ashamed of my feelings and just wished I could be like everybody else. And the other thing was loneliness. I felt incredibly alone. I couldn't see anybody around me that looked like me um, or felt like I did that I didn't know because you don't know. Mm -hmm. And so the hashtag I always kind of share is you are not alone. And uh, really, it was about just reaching out, just saying, who else feels like I do? So that's where it came from. Mm. That's really powerful. And um, what has the journey of like sharing this publicly taught you? And, or maybe I'm curious to hear about like the stories that you then heard from other people as well, because like you already said, right, like there were so many people that reached out and so many people yeah. that shared their stories as well. Yeah. What, what, what changed for you then? Um, so the first thing was, um, when I first shared my story, people I'd known for years reached out to me uh, when I shared my first post saying, wow, like, you know, people who weren't super close to me could never have imagined how low I had been. And then they went on to share their experiences or those of their friends or those of somebody they knew. Um, but the stories that I've shared have been anything from um, addiction to problem drinking, the kind of drinking that, you know, somebody is a mum and she's struggling with the kids and then you know she starts having a couple of glasses and then it's you know it's become a problem so that kind of thing through to child loss grief um anxiety um we're, we're starting to do more now about you know this current moment that we're in around the pandemic is one thing but obviously the murder of george floyd has brought the experiences of black people and other people of color to the fore And so now um, I have received some stories recently that are more about that. And I feel like I've always tried to have a wholly inclusive platform, um, but some people were more reluctant to share their stories who are more open to doing so now. And I'm happy to share them. Yeah, it's really the power of vulnerability and 
you know how you say oh once i opened up all of a sudden all of these other people opened up and shared things with me that i didn't know about them and i had a similar experience actually um when i went through my burnout in 2018 and i was same thing right like i felt super alone and lonely i felt guilty almost for taking time out to like take care of myself because nobody really knew what was going on and i was worried about the gossip that was going on at work but then when i came back and i shared my story i had so many people including like you know leaders and managers that shared their story with me and it was so powerful because you're really not alone and once you open up, you understand that there are so many other people out there that have the same or similar problems. Um, and we are all just human beings and not perfect, you know, not, not maybe yeah. the perfect selves that we sometimes portray to be. Yeah, and I think it's really powerful, but I also am very mindful of this movement that there appears to be at the moment where it's like everybody needs to speak about their mental health. Everybody should do yeah. that. It's not safe for some people for whatever reasons, whether they be cultural, cultural, whether they have, you know, experienced abuse at the hands of a partner or family member, or it's deep rooted trauma. We shouldn't be pushing people, everyone to share their experiences. It might be that their sharing mm -hmm. is with a trusted friend or therapist um, in their own time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, people like yourself and, and, and people like me and other people are happy to share their experiences and that opens doors to conversation. That's amazing. But I also think we shouldn't underestimate the fact that somebody could be sitting behind their computer, watch or listen to an interview or read an article. And for them, maybe just that day, it's the first time that they go, there's hope. You know, they don't necessarily have to go and share. It might yeah. just be the start of their journey. So I think there's great, great power in that too. Yeah, for sure. And so how did you... Like, was that kind of natural then that from 2018, when you started with the uh, Surviving Sundays, that it became more natural that you moved almost from like, you know, marketing and more that businessy background into more like mental health um, things? Like, did you expect that? Was that intentional or did yeah. you kind of go down that pathway? I mean, I've been so inspired by my therapist. I think she's one of the most amazing people I've ever met. She's got her own amazing life story. She's super relatable. And I kept thinking, Maybe I'd like to be a therapist, but I know how long it takes. Mm -hmm. I know how much it costs. And I know how prepared you have to be to bring yourself, but also be able to protect yourself. And I just wasn't in a place at that time where I was ready for that. I'm now thinking next year, I'd like to start year one. But in 2018, I wasn't ready for that. Mm -hmm. And what I was ready for was as an extension of telling my story to go into public workplaces and start to talk about it. And then when I talked about it, you would sit in a room and you would see people nodding their head. You might see a tear. Um, and then after each talk, people would come up and want to have a conversation or, or talk to me. And the people at Utopia, really, Nadia and Daniele, they knew me um, from a previous life in, in marketing. And they started, because of the work that they were doing um, with brands, they started to have panel discussions where they would invite me in mm -hmm. and we would have conversations around that. And then the, the clients would want to do more than that. And it kind of became really organic, even though I knew that simply doing a talk felt more rewarding than any marketing campaign, any award, any like great event I had thrown. Like I thought they were great things until I did this. It felt, it felt that good. I didn't know 
how if I wasn't a therapist, I could turn this into um, a life and working choice. So I, I, I trained to become what's a mental health first aid instructor because I wanted some kind of qualification. And I feel a duty of care and a responsibility to have some professional um, training and skills to, to do the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but from there, really, it's just led to this amazing opportunity with Utopia that put me in a position um, to go and speak to some globally recognized brands. And it's not just that they're globally recognized, that it's important. It's because they have influence. Mm-hmm. They're able to lead the market and potentially change the world yeah. with what they're doing. And if we can be a part of that, that's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm actually curious, since you are working, you know, with big brands as well, what um, are maybe things that you still see are missing or that, you know, where you feel like companies still need to take the next step to really embrace like mental health and make it normal for people? Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of mental health going up and down the agenda. Mm -hmm. So in recent months, it's been like, we want to talk to you. We want to please like, can you deliver a workshop? You know, can you have a conversation with us? And that's great. And You know, we have welcomed every opportunity to do that. Um, but then what tends to happen sometimes is that, yeah, I, I foresee that there'll be a point in time where people think, well, you know, the pandemic is, feels less threatening than it did. So now we don't need to invest in mental health. And the investment not need always be financial. The investment might have be an executive sponsor in the business that is committed to seeing a strategy creation of a strategy and seeing the, the the delivery of that strategy through their team. So um, I think that I would like to see more commitment that goes beyond kind of um, having yoga in the office and, um, you know, a panel of speakers. Like I think any attempt to open conversations and to, to look at well-being should be uh, welcomed. But I think also people could take it more seriously than they do. Some people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And um, uh, I I was just thinking something else. What else um, was it? I thought it was really interesting what you were saying um, that, you know, like we want to have this, we want to have more culture. Oh yeah, that's what I wanted to say actually. So how how do you think, do you build a new culture like that? Like what do you teach companies on how to bring this not only into like their regular agenda, but then create culture around so firstly you need um, a strategy this isn't about tactical ad hoc initiatives that that kind of make everybody feel good if the culture isn't right if people don't feel like they belong if people don't feel like they can take the time they need if people don't feel like they can have the conversations that they want to have if people are working in an organization where management are not showing any vulnerability and who don't encourage flexibility around things then any initiative is just going to be like bouncing. You know, it's just like water bouncing off something. Like it's not going to make an impact. So, um, so what were you saying then? You'd asked me if I was starting to. That's okay. No. So you said for creating a new culture, the first thing you need is strategy. Yes, yeah, so a strategy. So having the creation of a strategy and um, the commitment to that strategy, you know, it should be led by senior leadership. You always see um, committees and ambassadors um of you know more junior team members which is great but to make a change you need to have leaders involved in a business if this is to become a part of your culture another important thing is also appreciating the nuances of experiences so 
recent time has shown us that, you know, the experiences of black and brown people and, you know, people have become awake to the fact that we've not only experienced trauma um, and microaggressions in this moment that become, everybody's become aware of. I mean, I work with somebody now who experiences microaggressions just getting from his house to the tube. Mm -hmm. So, you know, appreciating the nuances of um, people's lived experience and then thinking about um, when you have a strategy and when you're partnering with people, how do you make those partnerships as inclusive as possible and as intersectional as possible so that they speak to the different communities within, within your business? And the other thing as well is leadership, being vulnerable, being prepared to be vulnerable. It's very easy to set up an initiative and say, oh, we want people to share mental health stories in our business so that people can learn from people's experiences. And yet, you know, there are people at senior level who are incredibly stressed We've probably used a coaching service or a therapy service, but they're just not willing to talk about it. So I think having leaders that are equally open um, to sharing and um, sitting in the discomfort is really a way to start changing the culture. Yeah, definitely. And I think that it's even also the next step. So, so what now that people have shared this, you know, how as a company can I support them to get better? You know, and I, I always believe it's not just therapy and coaching or CBT. Um, I think it's also, you know, really starting at the heart of the employee's journey, which is at the beginning of their journey to teach them tools that, you know, prevent them to actually get there in the first place. Um, and so I'd like to kind of start to wrap up the podcast. And I always have a few questions at the end. And the first question is um, for you personally, do you have, um, maybe a routine or a practice that you do now daily that really helps you support your mental health? Yeah, so um, I'm the best person at talking about kind of self-care, like my whole kind of like recovery platform has been about taking care of myself, but I'm also really realistic about what that looks like. Mm -hmm. So um, some days self-care might be simply getting in the shower and putting on something that isn't sweatpants in recent weeks, okay? So that's mm -hmm. self-care. Mm -hmm. um, and at other times I'll be on top of it with my 20 minute med meditation that I should do every day, but often I don't, um, I'll be eating well. So I won't just be grabbing biscuits between zoom calls, mm -hmm. um, which is what I, I like to do. And also I start every day with a song. So in my house, I have these Sonos speakers <laughs> yeah. uh, and from my bed. I can, with, um, my phone, um, I start the day with a, a, a song. So it, it changes all the time. Okay. Um, but yeah, sometimes I have a bit of a bop in the morning. But, you know, when it's a really, I, I like to say all of this, okay, and I like to practice it, I'd say about 70% of the time. Mm -hmm. But during the pandemic, when I myself have been busy, you know, our services have become so busy, and mm -hmm. um, the demand for our services has been so busy, sometimes self-care has looked a little different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you remember which song you listened to this morning? It changes all the time. Do you know, I started so early this morning. There was no song for this morning. Okay. Except a song inside my heart saying, I can't believe what time it is. Um, <laughs> but I, t I tend to get on a loop with songs. So one of my favorite morning songs is um, Womack and Womack, Teardrops. It's like a disco track, which I love. I love that yeah. song. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. And um, do you have a book that you feel like um, changed your life? Where you feel like, I read this and it like, 
totally opened up myself to something else that I wasn't. Yeah. So I was prepared for this question. I have two here, but I'm going to share the first one. Um, so this is called The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober by Catherine Gray. So I'm now almost, well, um, I'm like 19 months not drinking. Wow. And um, I'd known for some time that drinking was problematic for me. So not an addiction. Um, not clinically or physiologically addicted to alcohol, but it was certainly problematic. So, you know, I, I definitely wasn't performing at my best. And also I just was like acting in an inauthentic way whenever I went out. And I went through a, a phase of feeling very lonely. Mm -hmm. And so to seek connection, I would drink too much. Mm -hmm. And that, would, that became too often, like too, too frequent an occurrence. And I just thought, I need to do something about this, but I know it's not a treatment program. I know I'm not there. But I'm somewhere here and I don't want to get here. So what do I do? And um, I'd hosted a panel discussion with some people who, you know, one person talked about addiction, one person talked about moderation, one person talked about alcohol-free living. And I kind of, the wheels had started to turn because I love to learn through the experiences of other people. And around that time, somebody told me about this book. Mm -hmm. There were lots of books out there about alcohol. There's one called This Naked Mind, Alcohol Lied to Me, Alcohol Explained. But all of them felt like kind of like text research kind of books. Whereas mm -hmm. this book, it was like reading my story from the 90s of the party girl that moved to London. Um, that's who she was. But I moved to London 13 years ago, was on the party scene. And it's kind of funny, like you're reading such honest moments that are honestly awful, but you can laugh about because you've been there. Mm -hmm. And just reading these brilliant experiences um, of recovery and how she learned to let go of something that's really hard to do because everybody wants to ask you why you don't drink. Mm -hmm. um, that book for me was like the thing that said, you can do this um, and give it a go. So yeah, that book um, has led me on my new change. And then... More recently, I read this book, which I think is really good, which is called Ikigai. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all about finding your purpose. So it's the Japanese secret to a long and happy life. Um, and Ikigai really is about just finding what makes you tick, like what you're, you're good at, what you love, like what makes you get out of bed in the morning. And this book is brilliant. Um, and we're teaching a workshop on Ikigai soon at Utopia. So it's good. Oh. So both of those books. Very cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so now the big question is, how can people follow you and how could they potentially also come on, for example, Surviving Sundays, if they're interested and feel like they have a story to share? Yeah, so you can contact me at Utopia's um, Instagram ac account, which is at We Are Utopians. Mm -hmm. um, and also if you want to um, kind of submit a story to Surviving Sundays it's survivingsundays.com okay very cool I will put all of the um, links in the show notes as well so thank you so much for sharing this. thank you This was really interesting and really inspirational and really uh, like I, I can really uh, connect with your story and with, you know, things that you've mentioned, both from, you know, the work that you're doing today and where you're coming from. Um, but I think it's always so powerful to hear it from other people. Right. And to uh, to have um, 
to have similar stories and show the world that we're not alone in this. So thank you so much for sharing yours. And um, I'm really excited to see where Utopia is taking its um, work next as well, because it's incredibly important. And I'm super, super excited that there are companies out there now that, that really focus on this and help companies go through this change together. And thank you for having me and opening up this really important conversation around mental health. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Emma.